We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello and welcome to The Interruption with Chandran Naya, the Global Institute for Tomorrow podcast. So Chinese New Year has come to a close, and that's what's inspired this week's podcast, as we talk about China and why China works. So Chandran, why do you say China just works? Well, I thought I'd do this uh, podcast uh, having just come back with uh, fresh memories of, you know, a China that's working. And uh, all of us do, do not need to be reminded about how much negativity there is around China and the, the fears about China that, you know, China is a society that's totally oppressed, doesn't work, its people are unhappy, and that China is a threat to the world. And I thought, hey, you know, no one says anything positive about China. Uh, I just went there and I had a great time. And I'm not a newcomer to China. I go to China all the time. And um, I thought it's about time that, you know, uh, uh, with all the negativity about Huawei and uh, all the Western nations getting nervous about uh, 5G and all of that, it's about time to also say there's a real China. Go there and look at it. And basically it works. A society... Uh, and a country with such a large population that has transformed itself in ways that most countries have never ever done, unimaginable in a short space of time. Uh, and that needs to be uh, looked at and examined fairly. So that's why I wanted to say China works. And I'm happy to get into three or four examples of what I see as great examples of a country that works and which would be the envy of many in a, many other country. Okay, so you were going through Yunnan, right? So you mentioned three or four examples. Now, what on this trip stood out to give you enough for an example? Well, I decided to take the train rather than the uh, a flight. And I took a train and I wanted to test the, the new train system, which is also, it starts in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong has, is being part of China, um, is the, has a station, uh, the new railway station, the high-speed train that takes you right into China. And from there, you could go almost anywhere in China. From Hong Kong, you go to Shenzhen or Guangzhou, and then you can go even to Beijing. I mean, imagine that. You couldn't do this in the United States. Nor could you do do this in continental Europe at the, with the level of convenience. I get on the train in Hong Kong, and essentially nonstop, uh, I travel to Yunnan uh, province, uh, to Kunming city, and it's a seven-hour journey, and it, the train leaves absolutely on time, clean as anything, and all the things that you know people portray an image of China not being. And it's a seamless journey. I stay in Kunming one night. Uh, I get to a very nice hotel, not five star, four star, very clean. The next morning, I go to this train station and take another train to uh, Dali, which is the where, which is a, a old part of Yunnan and some very old uh, uh, small townships by the lake. And it was all seamless. And it was just a wonderful experience. So I just wanted the, to people to know that here's a country that 20 years ago hardly had a train system that usually went on time, but was very antiquated. It didn't work properly. The important thing I want to make about why this is important and observation from my point of view, this is Chinese New Year, by the way. The, the greatest uh, migration of human beings anywhere in the world. Tens of millions of people moving. I had not a single hiccup on the day that I was traveling. Very imp more importantly, 
everyone behaved. The other view that many people have is Chinese people don't behave, uh, they are unruly, no one follows the rules, etc. Complete opposite. This has changed. And on the train, the other thing that people have a view is that Chinese are, people don't respect, uh, you know, the uh, public space, etc. The train was spotless. And my observation was that in the space of literally 20, 15 years, a country has even been able to change the mindsets of people to essentially come to terms and embrace a whole modern way of living with things they had never seen before and then respect it and fall in line. And what I didn't see, the trains were not late like British Rail. What I didn't see any chewing gum and there was no alcohol and booze uh, spilt on the trains, etc. <laughs> people respected each other, which is the other element of how a country like this works. There's great respect for public space because there's so many people. So that's one of the aspects of uh, that triggered my view that this place works and it's not acknowledged enough and understood by people how much effort and work goes into creating a society like this in the world's most populous uh, country. Okay, sure. But so you mentioned the amount of effort that goes into maintaining this, right? And I imagine on your train journey through Yunnan, you would have gone from urban areas to rural areas. Now, how much maintenance is there in these rural areas? How, did, how does it compare to urban locations? Well, the urban, lo- uh, uh, urban locations are clearly, you know, the Chinese cities have been transformed. Um, one of the things you would notice, uh, not in Chinese cities, but in the small towns that I, I went to, which is Dali and some of the smaller township areas, is the level of cleanliness. Uh, I was in a very small, uh, uh, I almost village, uh, by Chinese standards, a village might have a population of, you know, 10 to 20,000 people. Uh, but the Chinese had turned this into a... Uh, uh, into a place where there was a whole host of small businesses that were essentially selling and uh, a whole lot of artifacts and um, uh, cultural heritage and promoting culture, etc. Uh, you could not find a piece of paper anywhere. Uh, and this was at a time where there were literally thousands of tourists, Chinese basically being trained to respect public space and behave themselves. So, you know, I'm not trying to paint a picture that the entire countryside is pristine because like the countryside in any other country, there's agriculture, uh, there's a whole lot of other activity, etc. Well, what I'm trying to say is where dense populations came together, what China has done has to change the minds of people and get them to behave in ways that were unthinkable 10 years ago. You go to toilets uh, in the small area, small towns, uh, small villages, and they were so clean. And someone like me had been traveling to China, found this, you know, really surprising. The other interesting thing is the levels of commerce that were taking place in these small towns where there were no tourists. They were not depending on foreigners. They were all local Chinese coming from other parts of China to essentially um, indulge themselves in the cultures of a different part of China, buying things and uh, lots of little boutique hotels, except all run by Chinese and to incredibly high standards in terms of aesthetics and uh, quality of food, etc. So that's that's a uh, that's a, a picture of China that is hardly ever painted. 
and I wanted to talk about this so that people go and find out for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I always tend to say that people make the place, right? You know, they are the, the core of wherever you're, wherever you're being. And you've described how the, there's been a lot of work into redesigning both urban and, you know, smaller, smaller urban holdings, but also, also rural areas as well. But would you say that the people and their behaviors have transformed alongside, like, the, the urban development? I think they've gone hand in hand, which is actually you've hit on a very important point. You can have the best infrastructure, but if the people essentially are not able to embrace it, respect them, then they essentially going to decline. And then you need essentially uh, you need administrative systems, the the government, etc., that are also you know enforcing the basic rules. Uh, of in terms of protection of public uh, public goods, etc. So you need all of these things coming together. I can think of many uh, countries in Southeast Asia, etc. And I won't name any. Uh, well, this doesn't happen. You know, we in, in there's infrastructure; it's neglected. The state doesn't uh, take care of it, and people are not attuned to it. Yeah, there's there's something almost uh, unique in the way the Chinese have done this. Firstly. Um, breakneck, uh, you know, breakneck speed so fast. Put these the most extensive high-speed railway network in the hu- in human history in place in the last 15 years, and they've got people to actually use it and respect it. The state, the train stations were spotless, spotless, and then where you go into the rural areas where there are tourist destinations, not for foreigners but for Chinese, the behaviors have changed, and then you have this uh, growth of small uh, businesses from coffee shops to local produce and a whole score of uh, different uh, activities that are all for Chinese and by Chinese. And the behaviors has completely changed. The, the one thing I really noticed was how uh, when you buy something, so few Chinese now use money, even in rural areas. And we've all heard about the, the, the cashless society but you think the cashless society is something that you'd experience in large urban areas. Go to small towns in, in China, even the small village I went to, which, as I said, in Chinese, by Chinese standards, it's typically 50 to 20,000 people. A lot of commerce, people selling you know, unique uh, uh, aspects of the culture from food to clothing, right, right through to uh, um, oils, and etc. And you could buy everything, Chinese were buying everything without cash. And even more interesting, though I don't support it, uh, being able to have them delivered within 48 hours to any part of China, which is that, wow. the whole sort of delivery service, which from an ecological point of view, I think is a disaster. But it just shows how the logistics system in China has, has, has uh, evolved. Yeah, okay. You're talking about like um, kind of a vision of China that you've got on this on this train and through your built-up experience seeing China evolve across the years. And just putting that into the, a more recent perspective, given the trade war, there's been a bit of an anti-Chinese atmosphere being cultivated. Certainly we see it in the news. What would you say to this? Well, uh, you know, the, the trade war is just uh, the, uh, the most extreme form of the anti-Chinese sentiment that I have seen living in Hong Kong for the last uh, 10, 10 years, you know, 15 years. Uh, 15 years ago, it was China is going to collapse one way or the other. Then in the last five years, it was uh, almost xenophobic. I would say some of it almost racist. 
Uh, I think I wrote a piece a few years ago saying a question to Western journalists, can China do anything right? You know, please write me a piece. Some of us may like it. Um, and none of that. Uh, but the, so the trade war has given an excuse for essentially the xenophobia to reach new levels. But, you know, leaving aside the politics, the point of this podcast is to share with people who are not involved in the politics, who are hopefully not influenced by the xenophobia that surrounds the trade war issues, etc., to really understand, uh, try and understand China by going there. I've I, uh, been to China many times, but again, this time I go there and I think, my God, uh, another part of China, and again, the same a transformation, a true revolution that's taking place. This is not talked about. So when people talk about revolution in China, they talk about what happened in the bad old days. They want to report on the new revolution. The revolution is real now in China, and it's not making the headlines because the headlines are consumed by all the negativity. And the other important thing to understand is, um, and and I'm not trying to say that China is a perfect society, but China has, I think, 56 of uh, ethnic minorities. Yunnan is one of the provinces with the largest amount of ethnic groups. I think it's 16 or 18. And the the lack of the lack of uh, polarization, you don't see this. And yet, the media is constantly talking about how you know minority groups are being uh, persecuted, etc. I'm not denying that there might be some of this happening, it's been reported recently, but Yunnan is one of the places with the largest amount of ethnic groups. Anyone interested in this should go and look at this, and because it's closest to Southeast Asia as well. And, you know, people really coexist. And I, I also think another important thing that one feels in China is the lack of menace, the lack of a looming violence, an undercurrent of violence, tension. You'd have no fear. You never think, I need to look back. Maybe somebody is going to uh, hit me. Uh, someone's going to try and steal something, I mean, snatch my bag. I'm not saying there are no pickpockets, but you don't feel this threat. You sit on the train and you don't feel the kind of sinister presence of you know, people who are either angry, uh, drunk, or might take, out, take it out on you because you look different. You don't feel that's at all. And this is, in my view, a really the sign of what a progressive society is like. Again, I would say this is really talked about in China. About China, sorry. Great. Well, Chandra, I think that's a fantastic note to end on. I really enjoyed what you said about there being a, the new revolution and it's happening right now. Um, so there you have it. Insights from just one train journey through Yunnan during Chinese New Year. Now, if you're interested in the work we do at GIFT, check out our website at www.global-inst.com. We also have a Facebook page, so drop us a comment if you have any questions, and we'll get back to you. Thank you. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program.